You're listening to another podcast from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. My name is Tom Johnson. Today is March 29, 2020, and uh, I'm going to be talking about the changing roles of technical writers. I had a recent podcast with Nupur Renade, which you can view on my site, and this podcast got me thinking about what exactly or how exactly are technical writer roles changing uh, as this is the focus of much of her research. And although I commented quite a bit already in the previous podcast, which was a conversation in this podcast, I want to reflect a bit more on this process because I feel like there's more to say. I want to sharpen my thoughts more and articulate in greater depth how I think the roles have changed and most prominently what it means uh, to not be writing as much. This is really the part that sort of uh, um, makes me the most concerned that we are changing our roles so that we're not really writing as much. And, you know, should that trouble us? Should that not trouble us? What does it mean if our title is technical writer, but we don't actually write anything? Um, Should we have a new title or what do we make of all that? All right. So let's kind of dive into this. I think it's really difficult to know exactly how roles have changed. I mean, very few of us have been in this profession for our entire career that would span enough length to really comment on changes over time. I mean, even if you've been in this profession 15, 20 years, your experience is limited to a handful of companies. So it's hard to generalize trends across the profession. Even if you've been in the field 30, even 40 years, how many of those years is shaped by your experience at a few core companies. It's hard to really know how the profession changes, especially if you're thinking across decades. This discussion reminds me of a podcast, one of the best podcasts I think Ellis has produced from Cherry Leaf, uh, number 40, called The Evolution of the Technical Communications C- Communicator's Career by Ellis Pratt on Cherry Leaf. And he He says that uh, if you look at the origins of the profession of technical writing, some of the early days were in the 80s, 1980s, where people were developing help for Windows applications, right? PCs were just coming um, into uh, the market and so forth. You have a lot of applications that need a user manual. Well, in order to create help for Windows applications, you needed knowledge about the Windows compiler, about the Windows help authoring tool. As a result, the tools were a barrier to entry here and people hired publishing experts. So this is actually a pretty profound uh, observation from Ellis that one of the original reasons for hiring a technical writer was not for the writer's writing ability, but for their ability to understand publishing tools, understand and implement publishing tools. 
Now, Ellis says today, obviously there are many different categories of writing. People aren't just writing help for Windows applications, but you still have complex scenarios to address. When you, you want to reuse content, you have multiple languages you're publishing to or you're channeling, sorry, you're publishing in multiple channels. You're generating out PDF and web and white papers and mobile or maybe you have to adhere to specific regulations, standards within a certain industry. So there's a specialization there. But again, it's not your writing skills. It's your ability to kind of manipulate the writing in these complex scenarios and adhere to standards and other, other uh, requirements. I have a couple of examples that I think support this idea. Uh, there was a team at my work where uh, they, they basically wanted to move all their Microsoft Word-based manuals, which they were generating out as long PDFs, onto the web. And initially, a project manager, product owner, reached out to me, and he was kind of trying to do it, just trying to convert his content into Markdown. And as I was asking him more about it, <laughs> it became clear that it was much more than just a matter of converting Word to Markdown. Uh, their scenario was that they had five different languages they they had localized the content into. Uh, they had a lot of reuse of content um, across different versions of of their their help. Um, they also needed to break up and organize the content on the web in a way that would make sense, in a way that would flow. And as I started to articulate all of these, you know, um, details about what this conversion would involve, I really recommended that the guy hire a technical writer to do it because I certainly wasn't going to hold his hand through this process. Um, I mean, they were outside of our, our group and everything, so it wasn't in my domain. Uh, anyway, so I saw the technical writer, uh, come on board and the, took the, the guy several months to kind of work through the material. And there were a lot, I mean, the writer himself had a lot of questions for me, uh, just about working with our system, our publishing system. So again, this is an example where writing wasn't involved. The person wasn't hired for their writing skills. The person was hired for their editing and publishing skills, mostly the, the ability to interact with complex publishing systems and tools and to understand how to make content fit in that and deliver it. There's another example, this one not for my work, but uh, I had a conversation with a guy about a company in my area, which I won't name because I don't really know how accurate it is, but basically uh, he said this company has an insanely complex tool chain. It builds out data, it mixes in some output from Java and C++ reference outputs, it pulls in some madcap flair, and their toolchain compiles all of this into a professional-looking output with a federated search. He said if, if some part of this build pipeline breaks, it is extremely difficult to diagnose and fix. He said that writers at this company are mostly editors and publishers. The content is extremely technical and very tedious. Um, I was commenting that on Glassdoor, this company had pretty bad reviews because all the from from writers, because the writers said that mainly they just are there to support uh, engineers in the editing and publishing process. They don't really write content. 
Now, Ellis in this podcast continues and he says, what about for mm, people who have simple, intuitive, web-based apps? Um, how, how are the roles changing there? What if there is no complexity in the publishing aspect? You know, are technical writers still needed or are te- have technical writers sort of been uh, winnowed out of that area? Ellis says that here we're seeing a shift to UX writing. UX writing has really developed to describe a type of writing where you're part of the product, where the writing is part of the interface. It's part of the design and part of the user experience. It's not just a separate manual manual that you pull out of a glove box or some other place when you need help. And to excel in UX writing, you need UX skill sets with how to do with knowledge about how to do to do user research, user analysis, uh, how to gather and organize um, information about users. We published a great recording of a Berlin UX meetup on, sorry, a Berlin Write the Docs meetup on UX writing. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Definitely check it out. But there's a lot of details to know about UX writing. For example, Are you using the right terms in your interface? And how do you know? Maybe you need to research what terms users are using uh, through social media queries and other kind of um, information gathering, and then integrate those terms into your project. You'll have to probably interact with strings files and and integrate with uh, the engineering workflows there to push your content into the product. Ellis says there's another category uh, around API documentation. And here, um, although engineers have generally written reference content, he says there, there's a need for people to create tutorials and, and the content outside of the reference material. Uh, there's also a need to, to publish API docs in a really attractive way because the API docs are part of the product. Right, that you don't get a user interface, you get the documentation to learn how to use an API. Uh, so in this, in this question that Ellis is kind of uh, thinking about, you know, how are technical communication roles evolving? He says that when you look at job titles, uh, terms like programmer writer, UX writer, content designer, haven't really taken off in any significant way. You don't see a ton of kind of new jobs based around those titles. Um, but I, I like I really like that podcast because it presents a discussion for different categories of writing. What might be true for one category might not be the case for another. Uh, so to try to make a sweeping conclusion about a changing role, um, it's not really, not really possible, but definitely there are these kind of trends toward UX writing, API doc writing, uh, and continuing to support complex scenarios. And I think job titles in our profession have always really been problematic uh, the term technical writing doesn't express the bulk of what we do. And if writing really isn't the main reason people need us, then maybe we should get rid of this from our job titles. Uh, the profession sort of as a whole has been complaining about feeling undervalued forever. Um, 
And if we're promoting our main contribution as writing, but people aren't hiring us for our writing, then that might explain the devaluation. Now, I want to come back to this question about changing roles and the podcast that I was talking about, because I asserted in the podcast that the DOCSIS code model is unlocking collaboration with engineers and bringing about a sort of change of role in an, in a, in a somewhat new way. You might be a gatekeeper, moderator, curator for a developer portal. You might be managing pull requests from different engineering teams. The idea that you're going to be writing all the docs across 20 different engineering teams needs, you know, in their complex scenarios is, is naive uh, due to just the required tech depth and limited bandwidth um, for these scenarios. But how do you reconceptualize your role if you're not doing much writing? Um, like how do you put the word technical writer in your email signature and your LinkedIn profile, but from beginning to end of your workday, you're not really writing? Like how, how do you square that, that disconnect? Well, I think there are five core functions that uh, sort of describe this non-writing role. And these functions are ones that we might kind of bring to the surface more and brand ourselves more as doing. All right, so the first role is as a convener who facilitates the review process. Now, admit, uh, the first time I actually have heard the word convener was listening to a podcast from Instructive, uh, where a guy's talking about developing a an international um, writing standard or information use standard, and the lead person behind the committee was convening all these different people on the board around process to get them to review it and adhere to it, or or, or to figure out what standards should be developed and embraced and applied and so forth. So I kind of like the term convener uh, because it, it accurately describes this role that we do. Uh, when an engineer or somebody creates content, uh, one, of, one of the things I do is, well, first I'll try it out myself if possible, but I will ask other engineers to review it starting first with the product team. And then I'll expand outward to have the field engineers look at the content, review it, give feedback. And then I expand that out to the support people uh, and other external stakeholders, asking them to review the content. And people have input along the way. I'll then ask the legal team to review it and add content or add their input. And, and if applicable, the marketing team, right? Because there you might have uh, terminology and, and different um, key messaging that you want to align. So um, this role where you're convening all the different stakeholders to review content is one that gets overlooked if you just have engineers write and publish the content. Um, and, and that role as a convener is definitely probably one of the most valuable. All right, another role that we play that doesn't really involve writing is as a user champion who presents the user's point of view. You might gather user feedback from a GitHub issue log, uh, from comments and other feedback mechanisms on your, your help site. 
You might gather user feedback from support logs, from field engineers. Maybe you monitor sites like Stack Overflow and GitHub to identify issues. Uh, there are a lot of different ways and spaces you can find user feedback. You could even look at analytics and look to see which pages are um, most trafficked and which pages aren't visited at all. And when you do get that information, relay it back to the engineering teams, the product teams and owners in order to um, kind of shape what they work on. That's another huge role that, again, you're not going to find engineers really doing this. Um, this. This sort of falls by the wayside if if nobody plays this user champion role. And people are very hungry for this information as well. I mean, product teams tend to be pretty isolated, or at least engineering teams tend to be isolated from their actual users and would want to understand how their features and and, and software and other code is being used, consumed, received, and so on. All right, another role is as an an editor who makes uh, makes the content align with style guides and standards, um, figuring out whether the content uh, uses the right terms, the right lingo, whether it aligns with industry best practices and style guides, uh, making sure that the content uh, embodies the best practices for simplified English with kind of uh, short, shortish sentences, easy to read paragraphs, scannable subheadings, numbered steps, and so on. Uh, ensuring that the content is comparable to competitors' content. You know, are we checking all the same boxes in terms of topics? Basically, performing all the the tasks that an editor would for the content. I found that I'm actually a pretty good uh, editor. I don't know if I'm a good editor, but I, I'm good at spotting what's wrong with content. It's very easy to just identify problems with it. And those problems could be every everything from uh, jargon to poor organization, lack of focus. Um, I think that's one area that, that uh, we definitely excel at that doesn't necessarily involve writing the content. Okay. Uh, a fourth role here is as a publisher who presents the content on the web or in other mediums. Uh, you might define and contribute to the authoring and publishing workflow. You, you heavily shape the, the way the documentation site looks like. Maybe you create the style sheets and you manage the whole website. Maybe you uh, define the look and the feel of the content. Maybe you're choosing bootstrap and using nav tabs or some other complex sort of JavaScript mechanisms on the site to hide or show information in a more uh, optimal way. Maybe you're ensuring visibility of the content in search engines and, and the information architecture, the flow from uh, the flow that users take as they journey into your site. Maybe as they transition from uh, the marketing pages or social media and land on your site, how do they kind of navigate around? There are lots of tasks involved in managing a website, um, everything from ensuring security compliance. For example, um, if I put a, a target blank link in my webs in our doc content, it'll actually flag a security issue unless I add 
um, some special attributes that prevent reverse tab nabbing. You know, this is like an obscure sort of security thing that that uh, you kind of have to know if you're managing content on a corporate website or even just linking out to external JavaScript resources that can flag security issues as well because it puts your content at risk. Uh, you, you might ensure that SDKs or other code sample apps that teams are pushing out have proper licensing attribution of third-party libraries or media or other content uh, that they've been approved by the right channels and so forth there's a lot to the SDK release process that you can facilitate and then just uh, generally arranging the the information experience on a website uh, the navigation tabs or sidebar, the mini TOC, whether you have two columns, three columns, you know, this whole presentation. And finally, um, maybe maybe this publishing aspect involves ensuring that when people push out changes, they document them in release notes. You know, this is something I constantly see overlooked. All right, number five, your fifth other role that, that doesn't involve writing is as a promoter who encourages awareness and adoption of the content. I frequently see internal release emails where people are patting themselves on the back, celebrating the release, talking about, you know, the immense accomplishment and how awesome it is for users to finally have this feature or this new product. But these uh, celebratory emails rarely sort of make it outside the organization walls. We don't repurpose them into blog posts or other kind of information that users can see and consume. Uh, people are good at sort of getting uh, a new feature out there, but not so good at promoting and making users aware of it and encouraging them to adopt it. A lot of times engineering teams think that if you just build it, people will come, which of course is partly true, but uh, there's a lot of reasons why products fail. And one is people don't know about them. Um, all right. So if you take release notes and shape that content into a blog post with a story like structure that resonates with users, or you just send out information about what's new to an email list that might contain field engineers, support teams, you know, internally and externally to a newsletter group, that can be a huge part of promotion. So those are the five roles that I've come up with. The convener, user champion, the editor, the publisher and the promoter and none of those are writer so is that a good thing is that a good thing that we don't have writer in us or if we don't now i also do do a lot of writing not a tremendous amount but i do write i feel i still feel like it defines the core of what i do but uh it's sort of my role can shift based on different teams and needs. The reason it sort of troubles me not to do more writing is because I feel it's my sweet spot. Am I making my most prominent talent dormant? But, you know, what does it really mean to write? Um, there, are, there are many different types of writing. There's, you can write fiction or an email message. You can write a resume or you can do an internal business proposal. There's technical writing and there's blogging, social media, 
proposal writing, you know, internal corporate communications and an academic dissertation, even transcribing a podcast. These are all different types of writing and few of us have expertise across them all. So to lament the fact that we're not writing more doesn't really mean a whole lot because I don't even know what it means to say that we're writing. Does it mean we're stringing together words in sentences? That we're, that our main output is some kind of written content? You know, but that written content can vary so much from genre to genre. At any rate, um, yeah, I guess the other the other outcome here is that if writing isn't kind of our core deliverable, what possible job title communicates all of these? There's no job title that includes convener, user, champion, editor, publisher, promoter. Uh, and if so, if you did somehow come up with a job title that expressed them all, it would be some hodgepodge kind of bizarre term that wouldn't align with the industry. So this is kind of a paradox of our profession to be in, in a technical communication profession, but not be able to communicate exactly what we do. <laughs> it's like the paradox of everything <laughs> about our career. At any rate, um, I definitely feel like uh, these are valid points. Now, coming back to the question of whether the profession has evolved. Again, if you look back at the origins, at least in Windows software documentation, if people weren't writing, weren't being hired to write content, but rather facilitate the publishing process, well, then we're kind of still doing that. Um, you know, if uh, it's hard to really know at what point people are being hired to write content and, and whether that role is actually shifting. At any rate, those are my thoughts, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope to do more of these podcasts. I like doing podcasts. I like listening to podcasts a lot as well, and there are some excellent podcasts out there. If you are, uh, Let me just go over a few of these in case you missed a recent post on my blog and you're really into podcasts. I'm going to recommend a bunch of them. Uh, so here you go. Writers of Silicon Valley, the Content Strategy Podcast, Cherry Leaf Podcast, Content Strategy Experts, the Not Boring Technical Writer, 10-Minute Techcom, Content Content, Instructive's Insane Instruction Show, The Manuscript, and Knowledge-Based Ninjas. Uh, if you subscribe to all of these, for sure you will find topics that interest you. Again, my name is Tom Johnson. You can follow me at I'dRatherBeWriting.com.